During the month of October, I want to ask if we can to go through the book of 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter is the last book, and Peter only wrote two, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. But he's an old man, and he knows he's coming down to the end of his life. And what happens is that Christians die, but Christianity doesn't. It's next man up. It's next opportunity for us to continue. And uh, all of us ought to live in the fact that Jesus could come at any time. We also need to love and not be impatient with those around us. It's very important. Uh, life is too short. The cause is too great for us to get cattywampus with someone else. The Bible says, follow peace with all men, without which no man can see God. Some people, strife is their life. They just can't be happy. They've always got to have some kind of drama going on in their life. Don't be that person. Decide, you know what, I'm going to follow peace with all men because I want to keep my eye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And basically what he's saying in the place of Hebrews chapter 12, he's saying you're, you're running a race, stay in your lane. If you're running and you're fighting with the person beside you, guess what's not happening? You're not making the progress God wants you to make. Follow peace. Stay in your lane. Do what God wants you to do in that way. And I think Peter is burdened about that. He's also burdened about the apostasy and about false teachers. Because doctrine determines destiny. Can you say it with me? Doctrine determines Hey, you get a hold of a wrong doctrine, it's going to lead you down a wrong road, and it's going to take you off the high road of holiness, and you're going to find yourself at some truck stop somewhere, broken down for many months and years, and wishing, watching the world go by on the highway of holiness, and saying, I wish I could get back on there. Doctrine determines destiny, and Peter understood that. And he said, Jesus said to him, when you're converted, you'll strengthen your, your brethren, and he is there to strengthen uh, his brothers and sisters in Christ. There's three chapters. One, uh, we find here is an explanation of the Christian life and the importance of it, the elements of the Christian life, chapter one. Chapter two is an examination of false teachers, an evaluation, if you will, of what's right, what's not right, what are the false teachers like. And then chapter three is an exhortation for what to do. And he uses the same model oftentimes, teaching, instruction, application. Uh, many of us were information fat and application skinny. We, we, we know what to do, we just don't do it. And the Bible says, if you hear these things, happier are you if you do them. And God always gives us things to do and things that we ought to apply. When you read your Bible, you ought to say, what do you want me to do with this, Lord? What do you want me to practice? When you have a problem, you ought to ask yourself this. What does God want me to do? When you have a conflict with someone, what does the Lord want me to do? What does the Bible teach? Is there a verse in the Bible that tells me what I'm supposed to do? There is. There is no stone unturned in the scriptures. Everything you need to know you have, God has given you in the scriptures. In this passage we talked about this morning, there are three goals that Peter had for his people. He says, I don't want you to be barren and unfruitful. He wanted them to be fruitful. He wanted God to be able to use them to be fruitful vessels in the work of the Lord. He said, I don't want you to be barren and unfruitful. Number two, he said, I, I want not only be, not be barren and unfruitful, but I want you to have clear vision so you can see things afar off. 
Some people, and of course the Bible tells us, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to thine own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and what will he do? He'll direct your path. Many people are just blind as a bat spiritually. They've been saved for 30, 40 years, but they still don't get it. And there's problems there because they've ceased to grow. Plateaus of the Christian life. If you're like this, if, you, if nothing's changed in your Christian life for a long time, you are changing, but you're going down. You know, I, I love that song, I'm pressing on the upward way, but boy, it's not always the case. I find myself up, plateauing, but one thing I don't want to do is stay on a plateau. I want to continue to grow. And God commands it at the end of the chapter, at the end of the book, he says, now grow in grace and the knowledge. You'll see several. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter, or 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, the, the word grace is very key. In 2 Peter, knowledge seems to be key, to grow in knowledge. And, of course, he uses the word grace, too. And righteousness, are very, very uh, you'll see them pop up several times, seven or eight times in this book. But he wants his people to be fruitful. He wants them to have vision. You know, I, uh, you ever tried to drive a car whenever it was fogged up and your defroster's not working? You're pulling out of your driveway and you got this a little bit right here and you're trying to steer. Like this. It's, it's an accident looking for a place to happen. Because you can't see you far off. You can't, you can't see what's going on. You need the entire windshield. You need the sides to be defrosted so you can see clearly. And God wants you and I to see clearly. He says, my wor thy word's a lamp to my feet, a light unto my path. He said, the entrance of God's word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. And, of course, the last part of the chapter of 1 is about the Word of God. But he wants one more thing for them. He doesn't only want them to be fruitful and vision, but he wants them to be stable and secure so they don't fall. I don't think we can measure the collateral damage that takes place when a Christian fails, when a Christian falls out, when he stumbles really hard, in immorality or bad music or, or some kind of a dishonest dealing. We can't calculate the collateral damage and the hurt that it causes Jesus, the work of God, the unsaved person. I was talking to a pastor, and he says, Pastor, I, I pastor in a town of 177 people. He said, now there are about 27,000 people in our county. He said, but our church, I've come to this church, I've just celebrated a year into our church. But he said, there's a stigma in our church because of a failure that took place years ago. And everyone in the town knows about it. It's like the elephant in the living room. And he said, it hinders us from seeing what God wants to do. Now, God is gracious. I think in our situation, the people in our town have been somewhat have a short-term memory even about us. God's helped us. He's done some things. I don't, I don't even know how to explain that. Brother George Zaris, who's back here, and I remember years ago we were canvassing Hammond, and he, he was there on a Saturday morning, and we gave him 30, I think 37 homes to go see, knock on the door. And he told me this later. He said, Brother Wilkerson, I grew up in this church because I was terrified. I was terrified, especially after the challenging, traumatic time we've been in, to go and knock on doors. He said, Pastor, I could not believe it. I went, I knocked on doors, 
people were interested in knowing about Jesus. People were open to that. He's had two negative, of 37 doors, had two people who said, not interested. And they, they didn't, they weren't slammed the door. They just said, we're not interested. Thank you. No, nope. next person. He said, everybody else either received a track or they weren't home. But he said, most everybody. And from that block there that he did, numbers of people came to know the Lord. You know, it's amazing what God does in that thing. But, but I'm telling you, I don't want to fall. I want all of us all the way. I want to finish right. I want to finish right in the Wilkerson family. Linda and I want to finish right. We want our kids to finish right. We want our church to finish right. We don't want any collateral damage. And I think Peter wanted the same thing. He said, look, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to have vision so you can see afar off what God's doing, not just what you see in the nasty now and now. Boys, doing. By the way, when you find somebody or you find situations that just don't, don't line up with you, ask God to help you see what's really going on there. No, COVID. God's people should not be worried about COVID. I'm not kidding you. We should not be frightened. Let's see, what is God doing here? What does the Lord want us to do? And what does is, what is he want done? You know, people die and go to hell in COVID. We can, and if we're full of fear, it takes us away from power, love, and a sound mind. All of which are needed to reach people with the gospel. Today, I was just thinking about that a lot while I was out in the community and had, to, had some opportunities to go through several, several areas of Chicago. I was thinking, you know, we're so quickly deceived and overcome with, and the Bible says that fear is a spirit. And God didn't give it to us. He gave us power, love, and a sound mind. I'm not saying you shouldn't be prudent. I'm saying you shouldn't be afraid. I think we ought to be saying, this is getting stupid. I am not going to sit here bundled up and afraid. If you're a child of God, you know you're going to heaven. I understand why an unsaved person would be afraid. I don't understand why a Christian would stay that way and deal in fearful. Uh, there's nothing in a Christian in the will of God is indestructible. He's not going to die till God tells him to. You got a purpose to live. You got power and you got love and a sound mind. There's something God's doing. Don't put blinders on. Don't put your face mask over your eyeballs. Can't see what's going on. Hey, find out what God's trying to get accomplished. And then let's be stable. Let's not be an excuse someone can use and say, oh, you know what, I used to serve the Lord, but so-and-so. They, they owe people money. They, they don't do things right. They are not honest. They're not integrity. They're always, they're, they're always fighting. I've seen that family. They, don't, they, they go to church, but they're, they're just a, that's just a lie. Don't be immoral. Watch your silly phones and your computers and your, and your interactions and your text and all that stuff. Don't, don't fall. Paul said, he, Peter said, I don't want that to happen. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to have good vision. I want you to be stable. And the way he does it is, is he tells them, <coughs> number one, to have faith. Every, faith is where everything starts. Let's just look at these real quickly. Look, if you would please, and I want to be as, as hasty and as fast as I can, but I also want to get the truth of the cross. We see here, uh, the Bible tells in verse number three, according to his divine nature, hath given to us all things, divine power, excuse me, uh, unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the, the knowledge of him that has called us into glory and virtue. In the first verse, he says, we've shared and obtained a like precious faith, a very valuable thing, and that's faith. 
Faith in three things. Faith in the person of Jesus. Faith in his power and in his promises. Okay, whenever you're going through difficult times, you say, what am I supposed to have faith in? Trust Jesus. Think of Louisa Mead. She and her, her husband, I told the college kids about this, he and her husband were walking the New Jersey shore with their daughter. And all of a sudden, some people started crying out, they're drowning, they're drowning. And, and Brother Mead took off his coat, he took off his shoes, he dived out, and he began to, to work to bring them to shore. He did, in the process, he died himself. So what went to be a, a little stroll on the New Jersey shore turned into a tragic event for Louisa Mead. And now she was left without a husband, without a protector, without the provider of their home and a little girl. One night she was sitting there in a, and, and looking at her little girl's shoes, they were just tore up, and she needed to go to school the next day. And she looked at her, her dress, and though it was clean, and though it was ironed, it was old and tattered. And, and she looked in the cupboard, and she said, I don't even have anything to give my daughter tomorrow morning for breakfast, much less lunch for school. And she fell on her knees and began saying, God, please, I trust you. You've got to help me. Raising this girl myself and provisions that I need. She went to bed. The next morning, she got a knock at the door. She went to the door, and there was a box there. This is in the 19, early 1900s. There was a box there, and the box was full of food, breakfast food, lunch food, and then there was a $10 envelope with $10, in which $10 a day would have been been $100 or more. Plenty to go buy her shoes, to buy her a dress. She fixed a beautiful meal for her daughter, sent her off to school, and then she wrote, wrote down the words, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him." So, Pastor, what am I supposed to trust? I'm supposed to trust him. Trust his power. He's given us his divine power to do whatever, you know, if, if you, someone said, well, you know, I just don't think I can do that. You can do anything God wants you to do. Well, I'm just not cut out for that. You can do anything. I can do all things through Christ, which I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hey, I, I want to encourage you to trust Christ, trust his power, and trust his promises. I want you to see something I think will be helpful to you. Look at verse number four. Whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious what? Promises. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, it's interesting. I want to make sure this. You know, let me just uh, let me just appeal to this. I think I heard I heard Brother Lyon say this, but I mentioned a while ago that one of the disciples said, "Lord, teach us to pray." But you know, one of his disciples, we believe, went to the lake of fire, went to hell, and is going to the lake of fire. What was his name? One eighth of Jesus's little church went to hell. I don't know about you. That terrifies me as a pastor. I wouldn't want anyone to look in the face of Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, you know, I did this. I drove the bus. I sang in the chat. I sang in that. I worked in the, or- I, the orchestra. I did the nursery. I taught some class. I worked in this ministry or that ministry. And he'll say, I, I don't know you. 
But I will tell you this, when you get saved, here's what you get. One thing you get here, according to this verse, you get a divine nature. A nature determines several things. It determines your appetite. If you put slop in a bucket around a bunch of sheep, guess what? They don't want it. But you put slop in a bucket around a bunch of pigs, they will devour it. Why? Because their nature, their nature is too different. Uh, uh, sheep are, are very meticulous what they eat. He leaves me beside. He, he restoreth my soul. He takes me to green pastures. They need, they need someone to help them with that. They're not interested in slop. You know why? Because that's not their nature. Your nature that you get when you accept Jesus Christ, you become, number one, it affects your appetite. Number two, it affects your behavior. You know what eagles do? They fly. You know what dolphins do? They swim. Do you know what snakes do? They slither. Do you know what horses do? They buck. Do you know what dogs do? They bark. You know why? Because it's their nature. It determines their behavior. Some of us, we're trying to live in Christian life without Christ. You're frustrated as all get out. You're raised in this church. You see your mom and dad. You hear the same message everybody else hears. You hear the same songs. It just doesn't gel with you. And it may be it's because you're trying to behave. If any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creature. He gets a new nature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I think God is teaching us here that, that, yes, we have faith in God. We have faith in his promises and his power. But also in the fact that he gave us a new nature, which determines our appetite, determines our behavior. It also determines our environment. You, 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 get to, you, don't, you don't see a polar bear in Africa. They're not interested in being in Africa. You don't, you, don't see, you don't see some little kudu someplace in Alaska. They have a different environment. And they have a different association. They, they, they like being with the people, like being with like people. First John tells us that. You know, whenever you're saved, you gravitate to people that are saved. He says, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the sons of God. We're in this thing together. We're brethren. Behold, uh, behold uh, in 1 John chapter 3, he talks about that we can be called the sons of God, that we can be in the family. I like that song, Household of Faith, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you have that new nature? Do you have a divine nature? Do you have God in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory? Is that in there? You might be able to evaluate it, but what is your appetite? You know, birth instantly changes your appetite. For a baby, while they're in the mother's tummy for nine months, they don't eat anything in their mouth. But one thing changes that, birth. When they are born, they want to eat. Orally, they want to suck. Why? Because, you know, when I got born again, when you got born again, there should have been an appetite. And I know that sometimes if we don't eat for a while, you can get big old bloated stomachs and not feel all that hungry. And I think sometimes in a Christian life, we can do that too. You get so far away from God and so apathetic that you just don't feel like you have an appetite. I know that could happen. But also another thing happens at birth. You want a relationship with your daddy. 
Every one of us, if you had a bad dad or you had a wonderful dad, you wanted to have a good relationship with your dad. It's something inside of us. Why? Because we're human beings and we've been born. Birth creates a desire. And the same is true spiritually. When you're born again, there should, it should be affect your, your, your new nature, your divine nature should affect your appetite and your desire to know your heavenly father. Jesus said, I do all those things which please him. One of the things that God said about Jesus whenever he got baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Fathers need to delight in their children, but children are delight in their father. But birth and, and the new nature, it does. It affects our appetites. It affects our behavior. It affects our environment. I think also that birth affects our association, who we want to spend time with. Now, I'm not here to scare anybody. That's the last thing in the world I want to do. But you need to know that you and God are okay. You've accepted his gift. I talked to someone not too long the other day, and they said, you know, she said, I know for sure if I, I'm saved. And I said, wonderful, tell me about it. And they did tell me about it. The other person just said, he gave a story that was just, it was just out there. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't salvation. And yet they had heard the same messages. They'd been in this church for a long time. And they, didn't, they didn't know, they, didn't, they weren't saved. Thank God they did. They knelt down and accepted Jesus, and they got, they got clean on it. They got baptized right here, and God's got it settled out. Don't let pride or procrastination keep you from getting that settled. And nothing more frustrating than to live the Christian life when you're not a Christian. Try and live it out, and, because there's nothing. Maybe it's happened to your mama, and it happened to your daddy, and it happened to your brothers and sisters, but it didn't happen to you. And you need to make sure that it's not hard to be saved. Make sure you have that divine nature. But then he says, if you have that denied nature, that's faith. By the way, it's faith plus nothing minus nothing determines your eternal destiny. Okay? It's works and service determines your eternal rewards. But it's faith determines your eternal destiny. But when you are saved, he says, now you need to add to your faith these things. And I want you to notice that real quickly and we'll close on this tonight. Look, if you would please, at verse number 5. And besides this, okay, we're talking about the nature, the power of God, the presence of God, and the person of God, and the faith is there. And besides this, I want you to read the next three words with me. Are you ready? Verse number five, and besides this, one more time. Besides this, giving all diligence. Now, tell me, is that God's work or my work? It's hard to know, isn't it? But I will say this, I think God puts a lot of that responsibility. It's him working in us, but he tells me, I must put my time in. He said, okay, you're saved. You've got his presence, his person, his power, his divine nature. You have his promises now. Besides all this, giving all diligence, look at verse 5 again, would you please? The Bible says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. He's going to give seven things, and he refers to these things. You'll see that in, in when he talks about being fruitful. He says, if you put these things in remembrance, whenever he says you're, you're not, you're, if, if you put these things in remembrance, you're, you'll be able to see afar off. You won't be blind. If you put these things in remembrance, he's, he tells us you're going to be stable. But he says, now, you add to your faith, which is salvation, I think, virtue. What is virtue? Someone give me an idea of that. We're nobody here but us. Someone, someone tell me. What do you think virtue means? Randy? 
Okay, it is. It has to do with pure morals. It has to do with purity. By the way, one of the ways you're pure is when you're separated. The Bible says, through desire, a man having separated himself. Seek is the middle of all wisdom. You can't lay with dogs and not get fleas. You can't take a white coat, put it up against a grease monkey who's been working in, in, in the mechanic shop all day, rub your white coat on him and get him clean. What are you going to do? You're going to get dirty. The Bible says you can tell a person in James chapter 1 if, they are, if they're filled with the Word of God. Three ways. Number one, they'll be bridled in their speech, they'll be benevolent in their spirit, and their inner spirit, and they'll be blameless in the way they separate themselves. They'll not be spotted by the world. Jesus prayed like this in John 17. Hey, Lord, I want you not to take them out of the world, but keep the world out of them. I'm not telling you to take them out of the world. They got, to, they got to be salt and light in that world, but don't let the world get in them. He tells in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Come out from among them and be ye, and touch not the unclean thing. And I'll receive you and be a father. One of the greatest things for biblical separation is because you want the acceptance of your father. You know why Jesus got baptized? Because it was to fulfill all, right, fulfill all righteousness. John forbade him. John says, no, I'm not going to baptize you. I'm not even worthy to untie your shoestring. He said, hang on a second. This is to fulfill all righteousness. Then John said, oh, well, you put it that way, I'll baptize you. And when Jesus got baptized, when he came out, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. By the way, the very first words he heard from Satan the next uh, 40 days later was, if thou be the son of God. He challenged what he heard from his father. By the way, every time you hear preaching, you read your Bible, you have a devotion, you go to the youth camp, young people, when God begins to do something in your heart, you're going to hear something like, you can't do that. God says, see, I want you to be a preacher. Oh, you can't do that. I want you to surrender. By the way, I wouldn't be so concerned about what God wants you to do. I would be very concerned about letting God have his will and whatever. Just... Do this number. You know what this means anywhere in the world in Japanese? You know what this means? You know what this means in Portuguese? Anywhere in the world. If you're deaf, you know what this means? I'm surrendered. That'd be a good thing for every one of us to do, whether you're 17 or 71. Well, I say, you know what? I am. I'm, I want God to use my life. It'd be a good idea for all of us. He said, I want you to add to your faith these things. He said, to, to, to faith, add virtue. And then add knowledge. By the way, I don't think you'll know God until you're willing to separate morally and, and, and spiritually from the world. You guys, you're wanting to have a, a right relationship, but you can't get off the, the music. You can't get off Pandora. You feed your, your mind, your mind, your ears with the rock and the rap and the country western and all that stuff. You want to be used of God, but you can't stay off the pornography. Somewhere along the line, you've got to separate in order to have the knowledge of God. can't have a sweet relationship with God and have a, and have a friendly relationship with the world. First John, you know, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, what happens? You're kidding yourself. It's not going to happen. He says, so add to that virtue, add to your faith, virtue, purity, holiness, separation, and into that, knowledge. And then look at the next thing it says. 
He says, add to knowledge, um, temperance, that's self-control. That's, that's, that's willing to have your, 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 to be calm and temperate, not losing your cool. To temperance, patience. Patience is the ability to press on. It's strength to keep on going. All of us need that. Weary sets in and work, and we, we want to just, some of us, we just like want to quit. And if you've got quit in your mind right now, you need, you know what we need to do? We need to add virtue, knowledge. The Bible says, consider Jesus, who endured such contradiction of sinners, lest you be weary and faint in your own mind. Understand that patience is that, is that, is that strength to continue. Look at the next thing the Bible tells us. He says, I want you to be patient. Patience, Godliness. Um, someone defined it as this. Godliness means to worship well. To worship well. To, to acquire God-like attributes. You know, one of the reasons we give is because God is a giver. Every good gift, every perfect where does it come from? It comes from Him. That's what we're supposed to give. Some of us, when it comes to giving, we stop at nothing. <laughs> and we want to be godly, and that's not going to happen. Giving is an attribute of the Christian life. He says, he said, he said you need to have all these other things, but, but let me encourage you to abound in this grace of giving also. Caring for people, forgiving other people, that's a Christ-like attribute, godliness. And then brotherly kindness and the pristine attribute is love. And then we, we, we take the faith, the spiritual growth, then it results in fruitfulness, it, re, it results in vision, and it revolts, results in instability. I want to just read it and we'll conclude with that. Would you look at verse number 8? When these things be in you, and I think they're referring, in my opinion, to these attributes that you've added to your, your Christian life. If they be in you, and what's the next thing? Abound. They're not just in there, but they're, they're overflowing. It's, it's really going well. They make you that you shall neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. You'll, you'll be familiar with him. You'll know him. And spending time with him, his, 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 um, his way is easy. His burden is light. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, but hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sin. Once again, vision. And give diligence to make your calling and election sure. If you, if you do these things, you shall never fail or fall, excuse me. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, for a fisherman, it's pretty deep stuff, isn't it? I think it's spent time in knowing the Lord, and you and I need to do the same.